Just in and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Wizard and the Bruiser. Ooh, 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 ooh. I'm your bardish wizard, Holden McNeely. And I'm your Austrian bruiser, Jake Young. And you just gained 19 experience. Are you going to spend those points on? Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm a gargle heavy uh, warrior class. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm dumping all my stats and gargling. Well, I'm going to put my points into Calvin and Hall. You know, our super producer, Megan, asked us right before the show if we had anything to pull up. And we don't this time. In terms of music or anything like that, because this we'll get into why, but but uh, there's this is just straight up a comic book, and we're uh, ready to party. We're ready. I hope you brought lots of spaghetti. It's the Calvin and Hobbes TV show. <laughs> it's a crazy, crazy kid and his fake old tiger friend. That's. Like, that's the thing he actually avoided, and it's kind of good. <laughs> yeah, I'm so happy that it, it didn't happen. Um, but Come by on he- and join the race. <laughs> Calvin and Hobbes are going to outer space. <laughs> Spaceman Spit, it's a nifty, nifty show. Um, this episode- this summer on the Hallmark Channel, a very Calvin and Hobbes Christmas. <laughs> like, none of that shit exists. Gross. It's- girls, oh, get rid <laughs> of my me, girls. girls. It's gross. Get your new gross slime <laughs> from Toys R Us this week. Um, Arctic Storm Hobbs comes with Feral Cat Launcher. And watch out, it's Sewer Slime Calvin with ooze armor. <laughs> yeah, there was always there was always slime back in the day. Uh, much Kids of the parents chagrin. loved aqueous polysaccharides. <laughs> yeah. Um, and by he, the he we keep talking about is Bill Watterson. Bill Watterson, of course, is the creator of Calvin and Hobbes. Um, he was born in Washington, D.C. in 1958. Uh, he uh, quickly, though, moved to Chagrin Falls, Ohio when Which he was six. Which is the perfect name for this city. That Chagrin Falls. Yeah. Yes, totally. <laughs> they might as well just called it Lutheran Shame. 
Ohio. And thank God he moved there because the reason why was his mother wanted him to be closer to her family and uh, felt a small town was a good place to raise her two sons. And, and, and I mean, if we didn't have that move from D.C. to the small town, we would probably not have Calvin and Hobbes because Calvin and Hobbes, is, uh, that's what it's all about. It's all about that childhood wonder, living in just like a small suburb, like going out, exploring the woods, you know, um, like complaining about school. I mean, uh, the setting is Calvin and Hobbes takes place in Chagrin Falls. Uh uh, uh, residents of the of the of the city of the village of the suburb whatever the hamlet the hamlet of chagrin falls uh have actually pointed out individual strips where like businesses and buildings from the from the town are, were featured in the comic strip at one point uh calvin built like a small town for him to like out of snow to be a godzilla monster in and like it actually matched the layout of downtown chagrin falls like the the yeah, the mindscape of Chagrin Falls is baked into Calvin and Hobbes. Absolutely. And, I mean, we even have, like, like for example, I mentioned uh, Get Rid of uh, uh, Slimy Girls. Get Rid of Slimy Girls, right? Mm-hmm. That that was exactly the type of club that he and his uh, neighborhood friends would uh, oh, had Calvin. back when he was a kid. Oh, Calvin, when you grow up, you'll know that you want your girl slimy. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, when he, was, when he was living in that small town, he started uh, to read cartoons and draw them himself. He actually did a lot of drawing and cartooning when he was a kid. He drew his first first cartoon at the age of eight and what he was reading now the most important thing are his influences that mm-hmm. he got and he lists specifically three different influences one that i know two i'm not as familiar with and i had to kind of dig in a little bit more but that would be peanuts pogo and crazy cat um so we'll start with the obvious one peanuts mm-hmm. uh why that influence why that was so influential i mean i i guess to talk about peanuts is to also kind of go into what makes calvin and Hobbes so special right it's also what makes the peanuts so special which is just that um you know, like the first of all, Snoopy's bizarre separate world. The, the juxtaposition of childhood pain and fantastical imaginary it, adventures is very much a Peanuts staple. Exactly. So, like Peanuts, it was like the kids were incredibly honest and sort of almost like in ways would talk like adults about sad. About being, Charlie yeah. Brown was a sad boy, yeah. and if. I don't know if you're if you're listening to this podcast. Chances are you've been a sad boy or girl. Probably boy. I've seen the stats. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Watterson said at one point um, he wrote. I think I got a lot of stuff by the way from the Calvin and Hobbes uh, 10th anniversary book, which which is a, a really fun. How resource. long has this book been in your possession? Oh, forever. It's like look. It's like brand. It's like the, you got this in the Scholastic Book Club. You dude, definitely did. Like oh my god. I, oh you know. Well we'll get into that too. My my personal relationship. Oh, yeah. With we, Calvin I and mean Hobbes. we we'll kind of. Blasted right into the. We'll research. blast through uh, Bill Watterson's life story within the next five minutes because he is as reclusive as fuck. Yeah, and, exactly. And he has not given us much to we work know with. Very, very little about the man. Um, so uh, he once uh, wrote, uh, probably I believe in the 10th anniversary book. I think the most important thing I learned from Peanuts is that a comic strip can have an emotional edge to it, and that it can talk about the big issues of life in a sensitive and perceptive way. Um, at one point, he even wrote uh, Charles Schultz, the creator of Peanuts, a letter. Um, oh, he in the talked f- to Sparky? In, yeah, in fourth grade, he wrote, and Schultz actually wrote him back. He said, Dear Bill, thank you for your kind letter. It was good of you to take the time to write. I am pleased to know that you enjoy the comic strip so much, and I hope you will continue to read and enjoy it for many years to come. Kindest regards. Sounds like it was kind of a form letter. <laughs> he just said it to everybody, every kid that wrote it. Um, but then the other ones that you might not be as familiar with, uh, Pogo. 
Pogo was created by cartoonist Walt Kelly, and it's set in the Okefenokee Swamp in the southeastern U.S. Everybody talks all, all like, it, ridiculous. I should have written down some of the lines because yeah. they're all like, me, you know, I was blah, 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 like, uh, just really, really heavy slang. Like, yeah, yeah. Really they're heavy. highly stylized uh, text, uh, dense text, a lot yeah. of, like, uh, deep conversations. Well, and, and dense image, like, the, the, the swamp visuals are so intricate and, like, flourishing and, and and wild. If you're if you're on your phone right now and you're looking up imagery of Walt Kelly's Pogo, you'll probably notice that the character bears a uh, similar resemblance to uh, Jeff yeah. Smith's Bone. It, I, it totally reminded me of Bone. That's great. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, it's actually we'll get to that later because there is a Bone Waterson connection. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're gonna teach me something, man. Uh, um. So yeah, uh, Pogo just a really lushly detailed artwork, broad humor. Um, but then it could also get really interesting with its its allegory and its you know there's Irish poetry. There's uh, as they put it, literary whimsy. There's just it's a it's very just fantastical and and kind of has a deeper level to it. Again, kind of like peanuts. If um, you if you're the if you are three if you um, if you're two levels of comic strip snob beyond. Calvin and Hobbes, you're you're just being like, ah, yes, the exquisite pleasure of Pogo, <laughs> and, and and one of the most sumptuous of the daily comic strips. <laughs> yeah, and you reminisce about, and Watterson himself reminisces about when comic strips used to be like an entire page of a newspaper would be one strip and things like that mm-hmm. on Sundays. This this kind of went up until the 1940s, and we'll kind of get into that because he gets into a battle, but we'll uh, about comic strip size uh, later on. He's been in a battle with everything, like yeah, for such a touching and like nice and pure product he had to fight tooth and nail with every force you, of capitalism it's that, like, like impossible to have a nice pure product in america like like it's just it's impossible to have artistic integrity it seems um especially if you're in cartoons you know yeah. um but uh yeah he wrote about pogo he said uh beneath the chaos and bluster though the strip had a f- basic faith in human decency and an optimism for bumbling through pogo had a pace and an atmosphere that will probably never be seen again the strip is a wonderful lesson in what a lively rich world the comics can present um and uh yeah the w- one of the big quotes from pogo the most memorable quote is we met the enemy and he is us he uh it, there was a big attack on mccarthyism in his work and things like that so there was like a deeper level to pogo also i really liked that um the word balloons had different type in them like depending on the different personality kind of like in sandman mm-hmm. um i wonder if pogo was one of the first to do that um I, a lot possible. of the things that we now attribute to uh comic books uh the Early Sunday comic strips were were the first iteration of that. Uh, the Spirit, the the mm, uh, mm-hmm. Eisner, Will Eisner, mm-hmm. uh, actually basically created one of the first superhero comic books by just expanding on what on the pages he was given in Sunday comics back in the day. Um, now talking about being a cartoon connoisseur, mm. the third and final influence I feel like is the deepest level of that. Uh, Crazy Cat is like uh, Crazy Cat has actually stood the test of time. Okay, um, Crazy Cat is like from the era of like yellow journalism. It is like old old. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Megan, you gotta spell it with a, a, a K. K. Crazy cat. With you a K. Just, uh, yeah, yeah. for on the uh, main computer screen, we just got a bunch of wacky <laughs> pictures of some Scottish folds and some tabbies. <laughs> and now the uh, original comic strip, which had kind of a dynamic and uh, kind of abstracted 
art style. Bizarre. Uh, those landscapes, those those big sparse Arizona landscapes that took place. And the comic, the, the uh, cartoonist is George Harriman. Um, the strip ran from 1913 to 1944. And uh, he was uh, lived in Arizona, I believe. And um, so the landscapes kind of reflect that. And I think you see those landscapes in a lot of uh, Bill Waterson's mm-hmm. stuff when, when it's like um, Spaceman Spiff. World. Yeah, Spaceman Spiff, like Mars and stuff the, like the, that. Uh, those the, landscapes are very crazy cat inspired. The famous Kazam comic, I feel like, ends with like one of the most lush desert alien landscapes that Bill Waterson ever, uh, ever printed. And yeah, Crazy Cat definitely led to that. Also, we... We're not going to do an episode on Crazy Cat, but uh, <laughs> Harriman, the artist, was like half black and like uh, queer coded a lot of like the weird relationship between really? uh, the between the cat and the mouse. It's like very, it is very interesting, and it's it's fat. Like the deeper you go into that hole, the more you will be rewarded. It's about this: what the cat's in love with the mouse, and the mouse is always throwing bricks at his head. <laughs> That is like kind of the basic through line of each strip, but he sort of plays with the form using that basic cycle. And I believe there's a dog that's like a, a police officer or something like that that either jails the mouse or the mouse succeeds. Um, I, I read some of it. It's really unique. It's just that's what it that's what it screamed to me. It's just very in its own world and very very fascinating. Um, there was this really good strip I read where it was um, the cat and the mouse, and the cat is I believe the cat is talking to the, one of the mice, um, not not the one that always throws the brick at him, but talking to him about this door. And the mouse has this door, and he's walking around with this door. And first of all, he's just walking around with this door off of its hinges, and he's like, uh, the cat has to knock on the door just to get the mouse to talk to him. So the mouse then opens the door and then he starts complaining to him like, why would you have this door? There's no reason for this door. And the whole time, in every single panel, they're using the door to like traverse landscape and stuff. It's yeah. really, it was just so on its uh, on its own plane. Uh, Little Nemo in Dreamland, like a mm. lot of trippy dreamlike imagery in these early comics. Very sure. And, oh, I'm glad you pulled that up, Megan. He also loved to get off of the uh, standard panel mm-hmm. sort of format. Like as you see the panel Panels are shifted and turned. Oh, that's the door one. Yeah, the panels are crooked and shifted and weird and like completely off the normal form. Um, he wrote of Crazy Cat. Everything about the strip is idiosyncratic and peculiar. The wonderful scratchy drawings, the bold design and color of the Sunday strips, the kooky austere uh, Arizona landscapes, and the bizarre conglomeration of Spanish slang, literary allusion, dialect, and mispronunciation that makes up the dialogue. Um, some people sometimes <laughs> would say like. Uh, people have claimed like this is the first of uh, like comic that was like truly like a work of art that made the argument for comics being art. Um, people wrote about it saying you know it was almost less like a comedy thing and more like poetry. Um, a lot of like the strips in Crazy Cat. Uh, the fact is is that uh, this early era of uh, newspaper comics were incredibly influential, incredibly widely read. Uh, there's even uh, like kind of evidence to suggest that Pablo Picasso. And like the uh, the the modernists were like getting kind of inspiration from newspaper comics in their kind of abstraction of the human form that was deemed so like legendary and modern. In fact, one of the literally the oldest comic strip that's still running in newspapers, Cats and Jammer Kids, has been running for 120 years. Oh my God. And it's still just like this old timey. Uh, weird German accent comedy. Like yeah. half of the comedy is just the fact that the good people talk like this in the comic. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, it's, so, so, well, it, ah, this is, okay. Uh, 
on Roundtable of Gentlemen, the other podcast you, you are very loud in, uh, <laughs> you keep talking about Marmaduke and Heathcliff yeah. and Garfield and all these like wacky things. And it's funny. Fuck Garfield. Yeah, but we talk about Heathcliff for show. It's funny because newspaper comics were a huge deal not that long ago, and now they are literally trash of nothing. Yeah. As newspapers went away, uh, the newspaper comics went away, but at the height of newspapers, the comics page was the most widely read bit of it. Yeah. People would read them with their morning coffee. Kids would sprawl out the Sunday section on Absolutely. the floor. Absolutely. I used to do it every single Sunday. I would I would go grab the the pages and and uh, especially read Calvin and Hobbes. And in the uh, from the fifties to the eighties. Uh, licensing and merchandising blew up, so these syndicates, these comic syndicates, another case of the Mondays. Oh my God! <laughs> Clocks and do you guys want to buy MetLife Insurance? Snoopy <laughs> says, "Do it, fucker." Uh, I was more of a Joe Cool guy. I had a lot of Joe Cool merchandise. Uh, so while this was happening, uh, uh, you know, the there was just money. Newspapers needed the strips. The uh, the syndicates would. You know, foster talent, take pitches, and like in exchange for a steady paycheck, they would get a cut of the merchandising rights. And it's billions, like Garfield. Garfield is a billion dollar industry. Peanuts was a billion dollar industry. Beetle Bailey was worth a couple mil. Like mm-hmm. every have you and not just, Beetle Bailey lately, it fucking it never didn't suck. <laughs> it never didn't suck at and, all. And not just you know items that you could purchase in a store, but also TV shows, movies. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Peanuts had multiple movies, had multiple and and um and giving voices to these characters mm-hmm. as well that weren't originally uh, had a voice. In fact, that was the main reason why Bill Watterson did not ever have uh he he actually was a fan of animation but when he thought about calvin having a voice by some voice actor he just couldn't fucking deal with it like he couldn't handle it and it drove him crazy also though again going back to the artistic integrity he he could he didn't he wanted to keep his again his his thing calvin and Hobbes, pure and exactly what it is which makes so much sense because it's such a beautiful, you know, and, and we'll we'll get into the gushing, I'm sure, soon, but it's such a just a beautiful, thoughtful, philosophical, sweet, wonderful, innocent, like loving, you know, work, you know, and, and to and to put slap it on a fucking tea kettle or some shit like that and, and sell Hobbes dolls would, <laughs> would cheapen it, you know? Uh, but by listing the influences he listed, it, it, it kind of communicates that he, he, he had a connection to the comic as uh, the comics higher angels, yeah, as it were. The, totally. The, 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 you know, the true the true possibilities within the art form as opposed to like, gee, Dilbert, I hear you have a meeting tomorrow. Oh, don't worry. I don't have a meeting tomorrow. I just have. A babysitting session because those guys in management are babies. <laughs> he said, "Cut uh, out that segment." <laughs> I don't want Scott Adams stealing these sweet oh, we'll jokes. Megan, leave it in. Um, I know you're. I know what you're up to, Scott. <laughs> you're not getting my good he, jokes. He wrote, "I have several problems with licensing," and I'm paraphrasing this a little bit because it was a longer uh, piece that I pulled this from. First of all, I believe licensing usually cheapens the original creation. When cartoon characters appear on countless products, the public inevitably grows bored and 
and irritated with them, uh, Garfield. And the appeal and value of original work are dimin- uh, work are diminished. Second, commercial products rarely respect how a comic strip works. The subtleties of a multi-dimensional strip are sacrificed for the one-dimensional needs of the product. He also didn't want, you know, giving Hobbs and Calvin a, a voice, like I said. And um, also, he's just he's a one-man band. He the lastly, he just and for practical reasons, he just didn't want to have a staff of assistants mm-hmm. to 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 work under him, where he'd uh, essentially, as he put it, uh, the cartoonist must become a factory foreman, delegating responsibilities and overseeing production of things he does not create. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and he literally just said, you know, um, to use the Garfield analogy, it's not Jim Davis anymore; it's Pause Inc., right. which represents the entire engine that just churns out things with Garfield's face on exactly it. exactly he literally wrote being an artist which you uh you uh having a point of view behind the strip being an artist uh is is uh very important which you can't do while also using your art to sell boxer shorts um so he's just essentially didn't want to be slapping Calvin on anything and that's why it was such a shame if you remember in the 90s when everybody ripped off Calvin's uh, visage to have him pissing on shit on a Ford logo. Yeah, pissing on a Ford logo and all that like copy uh, 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 copyright infringement, mm-hmm. bumper sticker horseshit. Um, but that was a- so aggravating because it's like Calvin didn't piss in in the comic strip. Like that's not what Calvin is about. You well, know, that's that's the crazy thing is. The it's oh my god yeah, oh my okay on. okay 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 let's uh, it's time for a fun game <laughs> called what Calvin pissing on <laughs> welcome to what's Calvin pissing on this week we have two guests uh, super producer Megan how you doing hello hello <laughs> and uh, and of course uh, co's the Wizard of the Bruiser podcast Holden McNeely good age all right now to play the game I'm going to give you a list of two things and uh, one of them Calvin is going to be pissing on look away from the screen look okay, away okay, from okay. the screen Megan you go first. Uh, now then, is Calvin pissing on Hillary Clinton or Trump? I'm going to go with Trump, Jake. Ding, ding, ding. That's correct. If you look at the screen, Hillary, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Calvin is pissing on the word Trump. All right. Now, Holden, it's up to you. I'm going to need you to, uh, to, to to look away from the screen. And uh, is Calvin pissing on my ex-wife or censorship? My ex-wife, Jake. Ding, ding, ding. Correct. Calvin is pissing on the words my (laughs) (laughs) ex-wife. That's amazing. And all right, final round, final round. Megan, uh, I'm going to need you to look away from the screen. Is Calvin, this is a three-way one. All right. Is Calvin pissing on ISIS, liberals, or Barack Obama? I'm going to have to go Barack Obama, Jake. It was all three. (laughs) Have a thing you don't like. Just draw Calvin pissing on it. (laughs) That's me. Um, That's what what the engine does, though. That's like we don't like Calvin was we'll we'll get into it during the the again. Thank you for sticking with us. We will get to the circle jerk real soon. Uh, Is that like a lady Calvin? What the hell is that thing? (laughs) Oh, it's a lady, lady Calvin, Calvin pissing on the word men. Men. <laughs> and she's stooped. She's stooped over, not standing <laughs> pissing. That's honestly points for. That's uh, Calvin butt fucking another. another Calvin. All right, I can't look at this anymore. This Neither is Calvin me. is enjoying it. This isn't Neither holding the hedgehog, is all right? This is it. pure. This is This is. This is uh, wonderful. Oh, pissing on cancer. All oh right. my God. Calvin McCalvin. That'll show cancer. Right, decision to move their corporate headquarters <laughs> is literally the phrase he's pissing on. <laughs> Breast cancer. All right. I can't do this anymore. 
I um well well before we get into the oh, strip. No, oh, but okay, but so oh, and there's also praying Calvin. We didn't get into praying Calvin, oh, but that is yeah. a a separate Calvin meme. But the thing is, is that Calvin is a multi-layered character. If you read the comics, he is he has yeah. depth, he has layers, he has uh, wants and fears, and that's not what fits on a T-shirt. What fits on a T-shirt is the raised eyebrow and the sneer. What fits on the T-shirt is like the goofy face, like the. The, the merchandising machine wants to turn every character into Hello Kitty or or I'm trying to think of other more more uh, modern ones. My Little Pony. P- or, uh, or, or Gudetama. You know, there's this idea of the merchandising character. Uh, Snoopy and, and Garfield and all these famous... Mer- yeah, Tweety Bird. It's, everything just gets reduced to, like, a single emotion or aspect. And, like, the... And Calvin and Hobbes can't... It can't be done without ripping away what's essential about it. Right, absolutely. Um, so so I want to take it back and just give people the knowledges about how he sort of got in, got to Calvin and Hobbes from his childhood. Um, and then um, I will proceed to give this comic strip a metaphorical blowjob for like we a solid half We are seven minutes hour. away from the comic strip blowjob <laughs> you have tuned in for. Uh, so Watterson attends Kenyon College with a BA in political science from 1976 to 1980. He uh, painted Michelangelo's creation of Adam on the ceiling of his dorm room and uh, contributed cartoons to the college newspaper, which includes Spaceman Spiff cartoons. He uh, was inspired by uh, his uh, uh, fellow cartoonist Jim Borgman. He was a political cartoonist at the Cincinnati Inquirer, um, and Jim Borgman would actually go on to be the uh, writer of Zitz, the cartoonist for Zitz, and uh, which which is which is a pretty fun strip. Uh, and he in, wanted, uh, in college, he also uh, drew a lot of political cartoons. Uh, yes, not political so, cartoons, actually student life cartoons, which all like kind of reveal what kind of a nerd he was. Yeah, because they're all just like ugh, college students always playing rock music and <laughs> getting high and having sex. Like I think I feel like I drew those kind of comics when I was in college right, too, right. because I was a nerd that was like, no, 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 I'm not a loser. I'm just more sophisticated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, they're, so, imp- they're amazingly drawn. So he ends up g- following the, the path and getting a job at the Cincinnati Post in 1980 to being a uh, political cartoonist. Um, but he had several difficulties with that, with that, mainly due to the fact that he had zero understanding of Cincinnati's political scene. So he was fired pretty quickly. If you look up his old political cartoons, it's always just like some person you never know, you never heard of called like Councilman Billweather. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, get a load of this guy. Like, this, I, this isn't. Are you sure you're one of the greatest cartoonists in modern history? Because this isn't funny. I don't understand. He moved on to a small advertising agency afterwards. Worked for four years as a designer, creating grocery advertisements. He had um, also moved back home at some point, mm, which really? is a recurring th- guys recurring yep. theme for all these legendary talents that ended up changing our culture as I we know it. Back home for a little bit, just a little bit. Also working. Even if an, you don't need to, I, I just say do it. Also working at an ad agency too. I feel like that's, oh, that's yeah. a, that's a uh, general uh, connection in his spare time. He was working on strips though. They were all rejected by the syndicates up until um, the, the one that he submitted to United feature syndicate, which was called critters C R I T T U R S critters. It had a side character. 
Walter, a little brother with a stuffed tiger. And United got back to him and said, those are the strongest characters in the strip. So then he focused on just the kid and the stuffed tiger. Um, So uh, Universal Press Syndicate takes the strip and it's first published in November 18, 1985 in roughly 250 newspapers. That's an amazing opening. Like that is very strong even during the height of newspaper comics. So, uh-huh. like, right off the bat, people recognized that there was something special about Calvin and Hobbes. And that, that first strip, it's, it's, um, it was a bit like catching the tiger. The tuna fish sandwich. The tuna fish sandwich. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I have it. It's in the, uh, anniversary book. But either way, um, uh, what was I going to say? I was going to ask you and then do my own little gushy, gush, gush mm-hmm. about, uh, how you found Calvin and Hobbes, what your personal relationship with Calvin and Hobbes is. Uh, I am directly in the prime demographic yeah. of Calvin and Hobbes. Calvin is perpetually six years old, and I was six years old when the strip was like at writing its peak of peaks. Yeah. And, uh, I, would every day get my parents' newspaper and immediately rip open to the comics page. And then uh, I would, at every single Scholastic book fair, the Calvin and Hobbes books were always available. They were like the one book that I was like eager to buy. Yep. And my parents were just like overjoyed that I somehow peeled my way out of away from the TV. Yep. So like they're like, well, it's not Shakespeare, but <laughs> Calvin and Hobbes and Goosebumps, I guess that'll... That'll save his brain somehow. Joke's on you, parents. Now I drive the school bus. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I was, um, uh, I th- again, kind of like Spawn. I have a recollection that my brother was like, you got to get into this. Check this out. And um, before I was reading it in the comics, uh, in the newspaper. You seemed like more of a Farside kid to me. I'm I was also lie. reading the piss out of Farside. <laughs> the, and we will t- happily do a Farside episode as well. I was reading the shit out of it. I had like the daily calendar and the anthologies. So my brother was like, check this out. Um, you know, you sh- you sh- th- I think you'll love this. And um, I think we were actually, I kind of have this memory that we were at a Sam's Club if you remember the the giant like warehouse shopping place and they had a book section and i believe i picked up scientific progress goes boink um was the first ever one i got and i instantly fell in love with it um there's just so i like uh just there was so much about it that i loved i was a lonely kid so like it oh really, did uh, did calvin uh resonate with holy you holy lord calvin the and, sarcastic yet ADD adult yet lonely Driv- driving his parents crazy running around like in his ba- in, in the backyard creating stuff dude we literally like Calvin is every solitary kid yes right like, in my, the suburbs my brother and I literally did one of the snowman house of horrors snowman <laughs> we did the one where the trees coming out of his stomach and That's we literally amazing. like poured ketchup around <laughs> uh, like where the tree was coming out and like our neighbors probably thought we were completely insane um uh, there's God. There's so many, and I mean, and it like made me cry. Like, oh, oh, are we gonna are we gonna do it? Are we doing this? Oh my God, are we doing the little raccoon story? The dead raccoon is like, if you haven't read it, just fucking read it. Like, I, it is I read- one of the greatest strips of all time. Megan, do not pull it up. See, there he is. That's the one, the snowman with the uh, <laughs> tree coming out of its stomach. Yeah, that's the one we recreated. Because of uh, the Drawfee channel, there's like, I have a weird amount of, of sensitive teens that follow me on Twitter, <laughs> and I actually posted the raccoon comic mm. the entire run, and I was like, yo, is this just pure nostalgia, or does this literally rip your heart out of your chest and shit in your guts? And people have been replying all day being like, yo, that messed me up. Why'd you post this? <laughs> There's that. There's also the break-in. 
Oh yeah, yeah, I yeah. I came to talk about it. Um, you know what? You know which storyline really resonated with me? Which one? Uh, the one where he sends away for the beanie out of the cereal box barcodes. <laughs> it's literally right. Yeah, it's just it, I remember it captured that. this essential childhood emotion of like wanting a cheap knickknack through the mail and having it take six weeks, which. Yeah, is infinite. It is the most amount of time anything has ever taken. Right, only to have just this the cheapest, dingiest, (laughs) dumbest thing show up in the mail. Because like the entire the entire run is Calvin having like dreams about grabbing his propeller beanie and taking to the skies. Um, there's also uh, there's just so I I mean I I, there's so many countless incredible uh strips. Um, the one I was looking at, which I think is in in the the here, but it's uh just there's no words until like the very end, and it's just a picture of each picture is is a moment in a summer day. For Calvin and Hobbes, and at the very end, they're like, "Oh, we barely got anything done today. You know, we didn't even get half our our itinerary." And it's literally like, like fifteen images of just awesome summer childhood, just <laughs> perfect, amazing summer childhood. Dude, Calvin Ball was amazing. Dude, I was so influenced by Calvin and Hobbes. I um speaking about being a nerdy kid, I um. Over the summer, I would do this thing called Young Writers Workshop, um, which is pretty cool. It's like through uh, uh, my school, and uh, it was just a bunch of like really nerdy kids getting together and writing stuff. And I literally completely ripped off Spaceman Spiff, and it was called like The Incredible Holden and the Mom from Mars. <laughs> and uh, because you know Spaceman Spiff was always like the evil villain, the monster was always like his mom or like Susie, you know, his, the girl that lived down the street that he obviously had a crush and didn't know how to deal with it or, uh, you know, his teacher. So I literally, my mom, all the parents are there and I'm reading this story and all the parents are like cracking up and it's all about, uh, me, a version of me as a space fighter, like taking out my mom, like, you know, murdering my mom or like the evil mom from Mars or whatever, like fighting the evil mom from Mars and like all the parents thought it was hilarious. My mom did too, actually, but just ripped off Calvin and Hobbes for the first thing I probably ever wrote. Every single child's first thing is just ripping off another thing. I mean, within the reality of the comics, Spaceman Spiff is supposed to just blatantly be Buck Rogers or something. Right, right. Uh, A lot of his... there's there's this amazing thing where the Sunday comics take on this entirely new level of artistry and imagination and reality. Uh, one I always think of is uh, like the first eight panels of the comic is just this serious uh, doctor soap opera looking comic. Yeah, it's like oh, doctor, my one. foot hurts. It's just like uh, it's psychosomatic. It's you need a lobotomy. <laughs> And then they're just like fighting. He's like, how about I pop you one in the kisser, lady? <laughs> and then it's, it's revealed at the end that it's Calvin and Susie playing doctor. Uh, and yeah, and, and just screaming at each other. It's so funny. Or it- another one where a speeding train is about to collide with a crashing airplane on top of a fault line while a f- farmer is about to light his stove that he doesn't realize have a, has a gas leak. And it's <laughs> then it's revealed that it's just Calvin just like imagining just a cavalcade of death in his mind. <laughs> I love the one where he goes Kazam and turns his mm-hmm. like parents into like space monsters and stuff. And 
then he's looking at his window and he says Kazam and it all turns into this big like space world um there's uh it's just so it just nailed that oh look at that beautiful landscape it just nailed that and very crazy cat-esque by the way it just nailed that sense of childhood wonder and imagination and rebellion and it was exactly like me like I was living in those worlds. Mm-hmm. That all the dinosaur shit is amazing. Dinosaurs and F-15s, um, <laughs> or F-14s rather. It was just all uh, like that's the. Oh, world. oh wait, wait, wait. Uh, let's uh, scroll down. Scroll down. What's the one? Uh, the one with the deer. Click that one. Yes, what's the, what's the, the line? Deer. What's the line? What's the line? Uh, they got Frank. <laughs> <laughs> when the deer come into it's the office a, and shoot, it's just some grown man getting shot in <laughs> by, the gut by deer. And then, and then it's it cuts to Calvin giving a a, a report or whatever, a reading, and then about the parents, why the human race needs to be culled to avoid starvation. <laughs> and then the parents commiserating about another parent teacher conference. I love the whole uh, the relationship with the parents. How much he drives them crazy, it you was, know. And and was, they got they were really honest in the in the thing, and even talked about at one point the dad's like i wanted to get a dog <laughs> but you said no we gotta get a kid or whatever it is it was and- actually the uh the first time i think as a kid like i saw something that like humanized parents yeah because everything from sitcoms to like kids movies to you know nickelodeon like mtv everything kind of villainized your parents as like these dumb authority figures and like bill waterston had like the humanity Did you feel like to to just be like yeah, every time you go to the principal's office, it like tears away a little piece of their soul. They're trying so hard. <laughs> he did say he does look quite a lot like the dad in the comic strip. Um, but he says it's not based on him necessarily. But definitely, anytime you see them on a camping trip in the rain and the dad talking about how that's building character, he he, he literally wrote like anytime you see them miserable, starving, uh, exhausted, yada yada yada, and the dad going builds character. That yeah. was straight from his childhood and his father. So there there was that aspect of it i actually really liked the strips where uh his dad would just blatantly lie to him yes. for fun oh, so there's good. uh there was a threat there was like an entire thread where um thread oh the internet has ruined me <laughs> uh there was an entire strip where uh calvin wants to know why photos are in black and white and now they're in color and his dad's just like oh the world was in black and white I and those are one. color <sighs> photos and then like calvin's like oh okay Wait, but what about paintings? Those turned into colors. Like, yes, artists were insane back then, and nobody <laughs> believed them. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Um, so yeah, uh, to dig in a little bit on our main oh. characters. Uh, well, mm-hmm. um, I just while we were going through all the Sunday strips, I just just seeing the amount of dynamic visuals and and unique, uh, you know, stylistic choices and cinematic angles. You have to realize that at the time. It was, you know, you were, everything else was Doonesbury and Luann yeah. and Curtis and Beetle Bailey. I fucking hate Beetle Bailey. Yeah. He's never seen war. <laughs> it's been 50 years. The United States military has been through so much. I and like Beetle the- Bailey. It's just fucking there on the base this whole time. What is it, the Lockhorn? I like the arguing oh, couple. Uh, there's the Lockhorns and then there's uh, Andy Cap. I like the arguing, the miserable arguing married couple. Uh, if they haven't taken a swing at each other, it's Lockhorns. If they have, it's <laughs> Andicap. Um, the uh, high and lowest, like motherfucker, like nothing. nothing. Nobody else cared as much yeah, as Bill Waters at all. And 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 that's why, like he would get some shit and he literally said he kind of throws Rose's sh- Rose is pretty good. He kind of throws gonna, gonna a throw little a- shade at other cartoonists. He's like, you know, um, 
you know, about his kind of slow turnaround or whatever. And he was just talking about, it's like, I don't know, you know, some people can just fucking be on the golf course by 3, 3 p.m., you know, uh, other cartoonists. But me, it takes a lot. Like, I put a lot of time and work in into this, you know. I mean, he, he's... His whole process is pretty interesting because um, you never really quite know until they talk about it. But he essentially said that he, you know, he wrote, the truth is we hold a blank sheet of paper, stare into space and let our minds wander. He would sit outside when he wrote. Um, it made it feel like less of a job for him. He said, sometimes I can write several strips in an afternoon. Sometimes I can't write anything at all. He would um, he would kind of try to see the world through Calvin's eyes to help him give him uh, ideas um, because it's all about the the characters. He, re- he wrote virtually all the strips humor comes from the characters personalities he would jot down ideas in a school notebook he would um kind of chisel them kind of make them sharpen them up um and then do little doodles of the characters and then he would actually show them to his wife and again i mean this is how much of a you know just uh uh you know not maybe not recluse but you know solitary guy like i mean that that's like his wife essentially acted as his editor uh, in a lot of ways. Um, and he said in a long day, he would do six strips or one Sunday strip. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, I mean, if you could imagine just kind of sitting outside for just long periods of time, just staring off into space and just trying to just kind of let something kind of come out of the ether, you know. Um, but then he would find certain things. And also he wrote that he never really quite knew where any story was going to go, you know. Um, the, he noted that for the duplicator <laughs> a series of, of uh, strips where he was like, I had no idea where this is going to go. And it spun so far out. Um, and, uh, you know, from, from like where I started, uh, my fa- the, whatever there was, the, the cardboard box was the duplicator, the transmogrifier and the ethicator, <laughs> which, uh, produced a good version of him. Mm. Uh, and I remember there was uh, one time they turned the box into a time machine. Cause Calvin didn't want to go to his, didn't want to do his homework. So he went to two hours in the future because by then his homework would be done. Yes. And then so they met 630 Calvin, met 830 Calvin, and 830 Calvin was like, well, I didn't do the homework. And 630 Calvin's like, this is all 730 Calvin's fault. (laughs) (laughs) And they go gang up on him. So, uh, yeah, and he wrote, he, whenever possible, I use the strip to talk about the things that are important to me. Um, he, uh, I love this line. Comics depict the ordinary mundane events of our lives and help us remember the importance of tiny moments, which, yeah. Like the summer day that I just referred to and all that good stuff. Like, like it's those little, like, you just forget how important it is to sort of relish in the kind of um, just the horseshit of childhood, yeah. essentially. You know, like all the stuff where you're just like, you know, I, I don't know. You you look back in it now and you're like, fuck, I, I, you know, I almost should have cherished that more. Like these little mundane, just being bored. Like, remember being bored like, and being just No, being I'm outside? a host of a hit podcast. <laughs> and it is a life that will never give me rest. Um, so to, uh, dig in a little bit more with our two main characters, um, I, I, uh, Calvin got his name from the Protestant reformer, John Calvin, who believed in predestination. I have no idea why. Um, he's, he, he literally just said he wanted to throw like a bone to like smarty pants for being like, Ooh, I get the reference. And then Hobbes is from the philosopher, Thomas Hobbes, who as, as Watterson put it, had a dim view of human nature. Um, actually, Hobbes is based on Watterson's own tabby cat, Sprite. 
who he wrote, not only provided the long body and facial characteristics of Hobbes, he also was the model for his personality. Uh, she was good-natured, intelligent, friendly, and enthusiastic in a sneaking up and pouncing sort of way. Um, uh, Sprite suggested the idea of Hobbes greeting Calvin at the door in midair at high velocity. Now, my brother and I used to have this debate where we were like, okay, you know, if if Calvin, if Hobbes isn't real mm-hmm. and re- actually real, um, does he just like throw? Like, does Hobbes like? Does he just grab Hobbes and like throw him at him? Uh, throw Hobbes at himself when he walks in, and we go back and forth on this. Well, I, I think. I mean, I had a. I had like. I feel like at that age there were like stuffed animals that he would just like wrestle with. Right. Exactly. Right. Well, and he wrote. I him- had a WWF wrestle buddy <laughs> that was you know hand engineered for child headlocks. So. I weirdly had um, a collection of droopy dogs. They were all. Uh, I had one that was like as big as me. Um, they were all wearing the same weird like collared shirt and shorts, and I had them in every size that this store sold them in because like I just needed it for some reason. So it was like tiny, a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, and it got all the way up to my size. And I would like I would like wrestle that thing and and uh, and punch it in his mount big, it, yeah, rub against rub it, rub on it, explore <laughs> my sexuality with it. I uh, he well, so the whole debate is essentially solved by Watterson in this quote. I don't think of Hobbes as the product of Calvin's imagination. The the nature of Hobbes's reality doesn't interest me, and each story goes out of its way to avoid resolving the issue. Calvin sees Hobbes one way, and everyone else sees Hobbes another way. I show two versions of reality, and each makes complete sense to that participant who sees it. I think that's how life works. None of us sees the world exactly in the same way, and I just draw the, the, that literally in the strip. Hobbes is more about the subjective nature of reality than about dolls coming to life, and that is so telling. For The subjective nature of reality is just so so telling of like what Calvin and Hobbes was all about. Where's the fucking lie? Yeah. Where's the goddamn lie in that? <laughs> it's just so cool. Like, like, but that's that's like what the sub- saying referring to Hobbes, uh, uh, Hobbes's situation as the subjective nature of reality. That's like exactly what uh, like on its face, it's just a c- silly comic strip about a kid and his stuffed tiger. But so much, there's so many deeper layers to it, and it's so wonderful for that and unique for that quality and I don't think there's really another comic book that's quite like it I think it's really in its own I mean you could kind of say peanuts but I feel like um, there's just so much heart oozing out of out of the strip it's it's really unbelievable and no peanut strip has ever made me cry you know it's uh and by the way made me cry as a child and then made me cry when I reread it in the complete Calvin and Hobbes mm-hmm. collection like you know a year ago <laughs> you know it's insane um, <laughs> because you believe him yeah. He's such a believably written child. Yeah. Um what always got me was I, I don't I don't know about I don't know about all of you funny looking people in the room, but I was I was a bit of a loser growing up. <laughs> I had a high a high self-value that was not uh reciprocated by my peers or authority figures. <laughs> and Calvin is kind of that same way. Like he he, you know, thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. He, you know, is fearless, does what he wants, and like is constantly beat back down for it. He has uh he, you know, he has a Bud, is Bud the name of the bully? Uh Mo. Mo. Mo is the name of the he has a just a bull cutted bully that just will knock his lights out he, as soon as he, he uses he literally wrote about Mo. He was like, "These are these are the jerks that I grew up with in uh, you know yeah. when I was in elementary school." He was like, "I think they like spawn from the like from the the 
uh, like bathroom like uh, floor or something uh, like that. Yeah. Oh, we just brought up a comic strip. He, he called Mo called Calvin a weenie. Yeah. Um. Uh, his teacher, Miss Wormwood, fucking hates him. Miss Wormwood, and uh, and yeah. he's in agony in class. Like the yeah. way they portray Calvin boarding class is so relatable. And Miss Wormwood was named after the Apprentice Devil in C.S. Lewis's The Screw Tape Letters. Um, also, Susie Dur and Susie Durkins is such a wonderful, wonderful character. She uh, Durkins was the nickname of his wife's family's beagle. I love the the Susie and Calvin's relationship is so fantastic just their their animosity with each other <laughs> Susie of course the girl that lived down this the street um and uh he said he spent a lot of time sort of developing the relationship and trying to kind of figure out exactly what and and he said Susie was the kind of like smart sophisticated awesome uh girl that um would later grow up and be the kind of girl that he would go on to marry so I think that uh, his wife had a lot of influence on the character of Susie um uh, what else? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I love this quote that he wrote about Calvin, and this resonates to the fuck to me. All right. This is such a wonderful, wonderful quote. Um, I suspect most of us get old without growing up, and then inside every adult, sometimes not very far inside, is a bratty kid who wants everything his own way. I use Calvin as an outlet for my immature for my, uh, for my immaturity, as a way to keep myself curious about the natural world, as a way to ridicule my own obsessions, and as a way to comment on human nature. It's so good. <laughs> he just cared. That's yeah. the thing that like that gets me the most. And this was at a time. When uh, newspapers were sw like a lot of things were going bad for cartoonists, and um, this was the '80s into the '90s, so a lot of creators' rights uh, issues were coming back up. We talked about Eastman and Laird, how mm -hmm. during this time they were speaking up and advocating for the fact that you know for these artists whose like work creates millions of dollars of wealth and whose hard work is like you know kind of paid with just a dilution of what they cared about. Uh, uh, you know, it was about taking back that control and uh, newspapers were moving to digital uh, page layout and coloring, which meant that like things had to be more constrained. The art had to like fit like had to fit lines. And uh, this was this was the biggest thing is uh, they were going to reduce the size of each individual comic on the Sunday page. Yeah. And in the Sunday page, each comic had to fit a specific panel layout so that uh, newspaper editors could chop and reformat them to fit the page how they needed it to. Because at the end of the day, the syndicate was providing a service for newspapers. Hmm. And uh, this drastically altered uh, Watterson's workflow. Mm -hmm. And this was the guy at the height of his popularity. You know, every single book would make it to the best... Uh, Bestsellers list. He was in thousands of newspapers, and still the syndicate was was just kind of like being like, "Yeah, listen, I know you're the reason why like people care about comics, but we're gonna need you to just make shittier comics." <laughs> and so he actually took a long break and renegotiated. Yeah, two two nine month sabbaticals he took, and that was also uh, along with him fighting to not have his stuff be merchandised and his original contract was actually um, essentially a uh, hey we're going to take your thing and do whatever the fuck we want with it mm -hmm. so uh, he had to fight really hard to get the contract changed and then yeah and then they wanted to make the, the page space smaller um, the, the, the panel space and again this is a guy who loved the comics of the 30s of the, four, of the 40s mm -hmm. like full giant page 
really can take your time and and fill space. Um, and and he was always. Anyways, it's kind of funny that they were trying to constrain his panel space mm-hmm. because if you look at a lot of his work, he's constantly fighting to break out of the <laughs> panels. He's constantly fighting to kind of do what you know we saw we talked about with Crazy Cat, where we're in really just like explore this space in different ways and really completely mix it up and screw with it and get out of the panels, break away from that sort of thing. There's actually um, some some uh, correspondence between Bill Watterson and uh, the creator of uh, Opus and uh, and uh, what's what's the name of the, uh, Bloom County, mm. uh, Berkeley Breathe, Breathe mm. It. I've never had to say his name out loud. <laughs> but uh, Bill Waters, every time like uh, there would be like an Opus animated TV special or he would like, uh, you know, uh, do something that Bill uh, that uh, Bill Watterson found like unseemly. He would send him a personalized drawing kind of being like. Ah, so uh, so you put like a sexy lady in the middle of a children's cartoon strip, huh? That's that's neat. Good good little Billy's gonna see that, and then like drew a picture of Calvin ogling like one of the girls that <laughs> Berkeley drew, uh, or uh, you know the the guy had a very specific take no shit attitude yeah. towards his uh, his corporate par- partners, and he uh, started giving talks. Uh, you you mentioned there was like uh, he gave a very a landmark talk at a in at I think at some kind of cartoon conference like a cartoonist conference in Ohio, and he basically like laid the smackdown on all the ways that like uh, you know the 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 corporation will just destroy any originality in your soul. And uh, Jeff Smith of uh, Bone actually was in the audience. Oh wow! And he had been trying for years to pitch a comic strip to uh to the syndicates because he wanted to be a cartoonist and was just as inspired by pogo and all the other stuff that uh bill watson was and uh he just remembers like this is jeff smith talking about meeting after meeting where they're like hmm i don't like these human characters and other creatures all living together it's confusing you should just make the comic just about the bones they're they're cute (laughs) also you should uh make them don't make them talk use use thought balloons and jeff smith being like why thought balloons? Like, because Garfield uses thought balloons. <laughs> like, just feeling like so depressed yeah, and yeah. like hopeless, and seeing Bill Watterson, like the god king of thinking man's cartoonist, and uh, you know, preaching about just you know breaking out of this system that he decided to self-publish, and that's how Bone got started. Oh wow, that's so awesome. That is the Watterson Bone connection. You just taught me something, Jay. Yeah. Uh, also, I brought, I bought a uh, a newspaper to yeah. bring in. I'm like looking at it. Uh, yeah, it's actually a newspaper. He's not just crinkling pages like a foley artist. It's so heavy, it hurts my hands. Where's the, <laughs> where's the screen? But like, we've been looking at all these Calvin and Hobbes comics, uh, and like, look at just how flat everything is. Look and how tiny. simple everything is. Look yeah. how tiny everything is. It's so small. There's They're barely... less than an inch. Less than an inch for each one of these. So so small you can barely get any sort of thing across. Um, if you know, and then it looks like it's wordy if it's got like a, a just even a small a amount of yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, of... for some reason, uh, on today's Dilbert, there's a guy whose head looks like a human dick. <laughs> Weird Scott Adams, you joke ceiling motherfucker. I'm coming for you. Your reign of terror will end. <laughs> Um, also, I can't believe the Daily News doesn't even uh, cover Foxtrot. I can't. The fucking Foxtrot's the best. Yeah, I lo- Foxtrot was like my my next love after Calvin and Hobbes. Like, after you know I why that had is? Had everything from Calvin and Hobbes because Bill Watterson wrote the foreword for the first Foxtrot yes. book right around the time that Calvin and Hobbes was ending, and that was like everyone's like tag in. 
Speaking of which, November 9th, 1995, uh, this letter went out from Bill Watterson. Dear reader, I will be stopping Calvin and Hobbes at the end of the year. This was not a recent or an easy decision, and I leave with some sadness. My interests have shifted, however, and I believe I've done what I can do within the constraints of daily deadlines and small panels. I am eager to work at a more thoughtful pace with fewer artistic compromises. I have not yet decided on future projects, but my relationship with Universal Press Syndicate will continue. That so many newspapers would carry Calvin and Hobbes is an honor I'll long be proud of, and I've greatly appreciated your support and indulgence over the last decade. Drawing this comic strip has been a privilege and a pleasure, and I thank you for giving me the opportunity sincerely Bill Watterson and he the final strip went out on December 31st 1995 and talk about I, I wanted to save it until we got to this point yeah, yeah. but one of I mean one of the one of the greatest uh, the strips best of, mic drops fuck. in print in the printed page it's so good and it made me I, I, I read I remember like getting up and like reading this on Sunday and you know yeah I love how empty the space is too yeah, I as they talk about the blank page, just look it up. It, it's fucking phenomenal. Um, they're just talking about all the exploring they're going to do and how the world's a blank page. It's so good. And, uh, you know, for again, I don't know if anything else really maybe podcasts have the same level of intimacy that a comic strip had back in those days. Yeah. Um, the you know, it was it was there every day. You grew up with these characters uh, in the case of Calvin and Hobbes, they like continually surprised you and, you know, kind of added more stuff to it. Like the snow goons arc where they just, int- that was the first zombie story I yeah, ever read. Yeah. This was the idea yeah. of these self-replicating flesh hungry monsters. <laughs> um, but like it was, but comic strips don't end. Yeah. They don't like if the creator of a comic strip dies, they just hire an assistant artist and claim that it's his son doing it. Yeah. Uh, you know, stuff like Blondie has been running since the 30s. Little right. Orphan Annie actually ended it, but that would have been running for 80 years. Popeye's been running for close to 90 years. Wow. Uh, you know, it's these the it's because consistency is like almost their stock in trade. A comic strip barely ever ends, especially at its height like this. Calvin Hobbes is basically the only one that did it. Mm-hmm. And it the it was it was like watching a friend like move away. It was it was genuinely a touching and kind of moment of loss for a lot of fans. In an interview with the Plain Reader on the 15th anniversary of Calvin and Hobbes, he he said, um, "This isn't as hard to understand as people try to make it. By the end of 10 years, I'd said pretty much everything I had come here to say. It's always better to leave the party early. If I had rolled along with the strip's popularity and repeated myself for another five, 10, or 20 years, the people <laughs> now grieving for Calvin and Hobbes would be wishing me dead and cursing newspapers for ruin." running tedious ancient strips like mine instead of acquiring fresher, livelier talent. And I'd be agreeing with them. I think some of the reason Calvin and Hobbes still finds an audience today is because I chose not to run the wheels off of it. Uh, I've never regretted stopping when I did. Afterwards, he took up painting. He liked drawing landscapes, which makes a lot of sense if you see a lot of the stuff that he does, or painting landscapes. Um, He doesn't, he he stays away from the public eye. He doesn't sign autographs. Uh, There's a, a pretty fun documentary that came out called Dear Mr. Watterson and 2013 um which explores the cultural Did you watch it um it's it was all right yeah it, it's it's I, it's just people gushing it's just yeah. yeah because it's just people gushing about how great Calvin and Hobbes is so yeah I, I enjoyed it 
<laughs> yeah, I, I like I, I I flipped through it and was like, oh come on, have some good info, have some good info. Have some, uh, it's no, just more it's, more the director's friends gushing. Yeah, it's just people gush. So if you love Calvin and Hobbes, you're not probably gonna learn much, but you you will just have a fun like this episode. Just have a fun watching people just love fest on Calvin and Hobbes and how much it meant to them and how important it is to them. I mean. It's it's just infinitely influential on me and the stuff that I, you know all of my comedy work and everything today. Oddly enough, even though it's like filthy and violent and ridiculous, it's there's so much influence. But you were just talking about the snowman zombie stuff and you know the deer shooting the guys <laughs> in the office. Like there's a lot of crazy shit. Got and, Frank. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and I mean, if if you haven't looked into it, the complete Calvin and Hobbes is is a, an amazing collection of all of the strips. It's um, it came out in two thousand five. My brother and I both asked for it for Christmas, Aww. and we both got it. Aww. So um, yeah. he did come. He's every time any piece of Bill Watterson art like makes its way out into the wild, it always makes headlines because of the connections fans feel. Uh, he drew the poster for a documentary called Stripped. About mm, the evolution mm-hmm. of a comic book, of, com- of newspaper. Co- I keep saying comic books. I need to watch that. Have you watched that? I haven't watched that. Uh, he also did a bizarre week of uh, newspaper cartoons along with Stephen Pastis, who does Pearls Before Swine, which is one of the best gag cartoons still like available mm. in newspapers. Mm. They're uh, like for aging nerds that like grew up liking newspaper comics. That's the one that you go like, well, that one's still pretty good. Um, <laughs> Bill Watterson drew a week of uh, that comic strip under the guise of a second grader named like Susie or something. <laughs> and the whole point of it was he was just kind of like having fun with the artist of that strip because the art on it on Pearls Before Swine is genuinely terrible. It is <laughs> genuinely a terribly drawn comic, but the jokes are really good. So Bill Watterson came in and was like, yo, it'd be really funny if I just like drew your comic for you and it looked like way better, right? And then like afterwards you were like, that was Bill Watterson, dum dums. <laughs> and they totally did that in 2014. That's amazing. Yeah, he. Uh, even though not much merchandising came out, there are a couple of bits. There's uh, two 16-month calendars and a book called Teaching with Calvin and Hobbes. It's a language textbook for elementary and intermediate level students. And it ranges from around like, I don't know, like $20,000, $35,000 because it's incredibly rare and hard oh, to find. The- the Calvin Hobbes collectors is like a den of sharks just like stealing and like fabricating stuff just to like get one piece of this thing that everybody wants a piece of. Mm-hmm. Teaching with Calvin and Hobbes. Megan just pulled it up here. And um, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's just a school textbook with Calvin and Hobbes comics in it. And it is incredibly rare. Um, so, yeah, I think thirty five four thousand dollars is like the highest um, you could uh, maybe oh, see and on the market for. Yeah, we saw that meme comic where they like turn Hobbes back yeah. where he goes on Adderall and Calvin's like, I have to do my homework now. And Hobbes turns back into a tiger. There is a really sweet um, Calvin and Hobbes Calvin and Bacon. Calvin an older man. Isn't it? It's Calvin like- and Hobbes and his daughter Bacon. Get yes. it? Like Francis Bacon. Yeah. Um. And, uh, you know, Calvin has married Susie and yeah. had a kid and has given. Giving Hobbes to, which yeah. I thought that was kind of, you know, I don't know if um, it's kind it's kind of cute and it did fill like the void in my life. But 
You know for a fact that Bill Watterson would say, shit his dick if he saw it. I was about to say, I don't think it was kind of, it's kind of, it's really funny because like another I big, assume Bill Watterson has never seen a computer. It's really funny because like obviously another big influencer on me was J.D. Salinger and it, the, the connections are kind of similar. Also like a recluse that really fought for, you know, the rights of his work and uh, not having it be merchandised or turned into things. And also uh, there was an attempt at making a adult Holden Caulfield book that mm. he had so like it's really funny actually how similar those two entities are but um anyways. yeah i mean it makes a lot of sense because like bill watterson and uh and jd salinger both like refused to compromise yeah. on their work and their integrity and you did a taco bell commercial <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly i mean and i think that's the lesson from this show mac weldon is uh <laughs> nano by, nano nanotechnology antimicrobial by mac welded uh boxer shorts but uh uh promo code wizard you know is is standing by your work and you know if if you really want something to truly be art to to stand by the integrity of it and fight for your shit and don't just let other people take your shit and fucking ruin it i mean especially if you put the the real effort to make something worth protecting yeah, but if you notice, first, before he fought for his work, he had to get pizzaed, so he had to get the comic strip popular, and then he uh, stood by his laurels afterwards, so there is sort of that element to it. Um, anyways, I think I'm good. Are you? Do you have anything else to say, Jake Young, about Calvin and Hobbes? No, I've squirted all my nerd juice. I think so. I think mine as well, and it reeks in here, by the way, from it. Uh, uh, so thank you so much for listening to our episode on Calvin and Hobbes. I'm so happy I made it through this episode without crying um i got teared up a couple times just thinking about the dead raccoon comic makes me fucking well up uh if you enjoyed this episode there's more right right behind them and right past them maybe if you're listening to this later and you should write a review and rate us on itunes because that will give us a big fun happy uh happy fun write a review uh give us a plug on your social media just anytime you're at a weird dinner party and someone's like what do you, have you guys been listening to any new podcasts like uh you know uh mention us and they're like oh is it like you know is it like safe for work is it like pc just just lie <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i noticed we have that e next to our <laughs> isn't that explicit right is that what that means that oh red really e? i thought it was e for everyone like a video <laughs> game <laughs> Um, so anyways, thank you so much. You can uh, find me on uh, Twitch at Holdenator's Ho, Jake. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at BestJakeYoung. And uh, look up uh, look at stuff on dorkly.com that has my name on it. Some of it's funny. And everything, of course, written by Dorkly staff. Even the most embarrassing of things was written by Jake Young. We actually have an entire staff of people <laughs> that uh, all work together to produce the clickbait that uh, keeps the entire company afloat. <laughs> all right, everybody. Thank you so much. Good day. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to cavecomedyradio.com. Hop, hop, hooray. Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.